have to admit that when I was on my way to the hall this evening, I had the thought, too bad you're not one of those teachers that can teach in silence. (laughs) Wishing I had that capacity. (laughs) But I will relinquish my attachment to silence in this moment and speak about renunciation. (laughs) So we're continuing on with the ten perfections, the ten paramis, the wholesome qualities of mind that really counter the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. And the forces that are qualities that we can really call forth in our lives to step into this potential that we have as human beings and to be able to live by way of the direction of our lives being that of the alleviation of suffering for the welfare and benefit of all beings everywhere. There are qualities that as we bring into our lives um, just help us to break down you know, this self-cherishing framework that we so often live in and uh, can actually become, you know, we can reset the default in our minds so that you know, when we encounter experiences, situations, as we live our lives, that it isn't always default, we're not always defaulting to you know, just being habitually run by greed, aversion, delusion. So tonight, renunciation. And to me, you know, it's not always been evident, but there is just such a joyful aspect to renunciation when we really understand it. You know, and that may not be the way that we have uh, always thought of it, you know, that renunciation can be held of, well, that means I don't get what I want, you know, or, you know, we feel very stoic and we, we try to renounce certain things, and then when we keep being plagued by the desire and start to soften, then we think we're a wimp, you know, and becomes just a way of judging ourselves. But from the place of seeing what renunciation really is, that's where the joy starts to come in. You know, when we've had moments in our practice where desire arose, and rather than just fueling it, feeding it, you know, going after what the mind is desiring, there was just this relinquishment, you know, this capacity to just let be. And and certainly... I find often the word letting be rather than letting go is more helpful. Even though with, with renunciation, you know, it is this relinquishment, letting go. But really in the letting be, because everything is impermanent in its nature, the letting go happens as things pass away. So if we can let be without clinging, right in that is this quality of renunciation. And so I think, you know, as we explore renunciation, if we can look at moments in our lives where for whatever reason there was this capacity to let go, to let be, that helps us to know the potential of renunciation so that we don't hold it in a harsh and unkind way. 
I, you know, I've really felt the pain of that at times in my own life where, you know, it's like it was feeling deprived of something or it was relating back to a sense of self, you know, that where we can feel very holy and noble and how we are relinquishing. You know, maybe we're living by the eight precepts and others aren't. Hmm. Aren't we good? <laughs> aren't we high, noble, and wise? You know, and that's painful. You know, it really, we know it goes nowhere. We know it's not satisfactory. <sighs> but there is this joyful element to it. You know, and I also see it as a way of letting go, discovering that which is no longer serving us. And that's what we're letting go of. We're letting go of all that obstructs or hinders this brightly shining mind, this you know, purity of heart and mind. Uh, the Buddha referred to it as the brightly shining citta. No, we're, we're renouncing all of these attachments that keep us from seeing this. And so it is a true path of joy. In the beginning, renunciation is a quality that slants the mind towards freedom. And as wisdom strengthens, it's just the natural capacity that's there when we understand deeply the truth of impermanence that there is nothing substantial, significant to hang on to in these fleeting conditions of life. But often we can really struggle with a sense of renunciation it goes against a lot of our cultural conditioning, you know, the culture we live in to get to have, to get more of, to, um, you know, often even defined by how much we have. Um, and so we struggle. But just to know that that struggle is not unique to us as individuals, that people in the time of the Buddha struggled in understanding the, you know, the value of renunciation, the importance of it. And the Buddha himself said that he too struggled with this. I found great comfort in that. <laughs> so I'd like to share a story from the suttas. So one day there was a householder, Tapusa, who went to the venerable Ananda, who was um, the attendant to the Buddha, and on arrival, having bowed down to him and sitting to one, sat to one side, and as he was sitting there, he expressed to Ananda the difficulties he was having with renunciation and how it seemed contrary to worldly life. And Ananda responded, This calls for a talk, householder. Let's go to see the Blessed One, whom that's how the Buddha was referred to. Let's approach him. So on and on arrival, tell him this matter. And however he explains it to us, we will bear it in mind. And so they went to the Blessed One, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, they sat to one side. And as Ananda was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, 
Tapusa, the householder here, has said to me, Venerable Ananda, sir, we are householders who indulge in sensuality, delight in sensuality, enjoy sensuality, rejoice in sensuality. For us, indulging in sensuality, delighting in sensuality, enjoying sensuality, rejoicing in sensuality, renunciation seems like a sheer (laughs) drop-off. Yet, I have heard that in this doctrine and discipline, the hearts of the very young monks leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So right here is where this doctrine and discipline is contrary to the great mass of people, this issue of renunciation. The Buddha responded, So it is, Ananda, so it is. Even I, myself, before my awakening, when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is good, seclusion is good, but my heart didn't leap up at renunciation. It didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause, what is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace? Then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't go confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me, if having seen the drawback of sensual pleasures, I were to pursue that theme, and if having understood the reward of renunciation, I were to familiarize myself with it, there's the possibility that my heart would leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. And so, of course, that's what he went on to do. (laughs) And we know what happened from that. I think there's a real key in that, in that... You know, it's really needing to explore for ourselves both the drawbacks of sense pleasure and the rewards of renunciation. When we look at the drawbacks of sense pleasure, you know, so often that's what we gloss over in our experience. That we get so enchanted, mesmerized by both you know, the, the desire for uh, pleasurable experience and the enjoyment, the momentary enjoyment that comes, that we don't often see how that falls short. You know, a common way that we live our lives is, well, that's okay. You know, we get a hit off one experience and the pleasure's gone and we simply look for the next hit 
and the next hit, and the next hit. And we don't see how exhausting this is. Now, when I was younger, after I'd left home, I really set up the living of my life in trying to maximize pleasant experience. Now, I loved the outdoors, so I worked in the outdoors. I built a cabin, you know, with, where, where I was just, you know, surrounded by the natural world. I had good friends. You know, I was in very fortunate circumstances. And then one day, I realized that, you know, just a sense of being backed into a corner. And that there was so much in life's experiences that I wasn't allowing. That I was living in a very limited way. And that it actually took a huge amount of energy to sustain this. I think just the amount of energy that it takes to sustain is one real easy way to see the drawback of sense pleasure. We can see this drawback to sense pleasure in our practice, in the practice itself. You know, how we can have times in our practice where we really, for whatever reasons, feel like we got it. We're touching into maybe effortless effort. Or where there's a deep concentration or pervasive sense of well-being. And then things change. And for possibly years, we try to recreate that experience. And it's so disheartening. It's so discouraging. We can see this drawback of sense pleasures when um, there's promised events that hold this promise of happiness. You know, you're walking in the dining room and the smell of lunch is mm, so enticing. The mouth starts watering and it creates agitation. You know, we, we can't stay steady in being with experience. You know, that there's just this anticipation of what's to come. Or maybe, you know, that there's some awareness of, of the enchantment and then we begin to eat and, you know, just lose ourselves in that sense pleasure and then later are sitting with the belly ache. When we get what we want, how long does the happiness last? No, it can be so fleeting. And when we look at how we can give ourselves over to the pursuit of that, it's really quite mind-boggling to look at. That, you know, what lengths we can go to to get something that the, the joy that it brings is like a flicker. 
so brief. Seeing how many times that there's a strong desire for sense pleasure. And then we might not even get that momentary sense pleasure. Sometimes it just doesn't come. I remember one particular day actually practicing here, and it was around smell of food. And, you know, it was in the afternoon, and somebody was baking a chocolate cake. And, you know, it's just the smell, the aroma. And in my mind, oh, tomorrow's lunch. Oh, it'll be so good. And the chocolate cake was never served. (laughs) Such was the disappointment the next day. Wow, you'd think the world had crumbled. (laughs) Mm. I love a, a line from Winnie the Pooh where he said, there's a moment before eating honey that is even better than when you do. (laughs) Oh, we get seduced. But just looking, exploring, you know, and... And, you know, sometimes we take it as a personal failing when all of these experiences don't chalk up to being happiness. We think it's our fault. And where these experiences are just transitory in their nature, uh, insubstantial, and empty. I actually really, you know, talking about renunciation brings back all my memories of being on retreat and a lot around food. you know, another experience of um, I would eat chocolate in my room every day. And I was quite disciplined with this. I, you know, I'd go into retreat and, you know, however long I was going to be there, I might have uh, be able to have one little square of chocolate per day. And I'd be quite content in that. And then one day I had my piece of chocolate and it tasted so good. You know, it was just, oh. And so it was like, well, have another piece. And of course, I had another piece, and it was also so good. And then, you know, this led to having another piece, and then I went for, and I don't, you know, this went on, I don't remember exactly how many times. And then suddenly, there was just the looking into this state of desire. It's like, you know, it was like so strong, like, what is going on here? And it was so empty. You know, it was just desire. And in the scene of that, all desire for the chocolate evaporated. <laughs> but when we don't see that, it feels like something. It calls us. You know, it's that voice of Mara. Come, come. I will fulfill you. I am the promise of happiness. But no, we don't need to keep biting. And so, you know, if you find yourself a little disappointed over not getting what you wanted, just contemplate this. This is the drawback of sense pleasure. This is what happens. Let this turn into wisdom. No need to take it personally. The rewards of renunciation. It's kind of amazing to me, too, that this, too, 
we can gloss over. Because we experience these rewards in simple ways where there is a strong emotion and we just let it be. We don't, you know, jump at it, bite it, take it on. A moment where we've been lost, consumed by a thought. And then there's just the recognition of this and it lets go. These moments of non-grasping. We sometimes overlook them. Moments where things are simply arising and passing away with ease. We tend to you know, not notice it. And yet the, you know, if we let ourselves feel the coolness of relinquishment, the state of non-grasping, however momentary it may be, this too helps support understanding. In being here, we can pay attention to the rewards of renunciation because we have let go of you know, family, friends, um, activities, all of the things that we might like to occupy our time with. And we've let our lives become much simpler in being here. There can be the reward of that that helps the mind to unify, helps us to settle into a sense of presence, helps us to be able to meet experience in a simple way because we're not looking for things to be other than what they are. We, you know, the rewards of renunciation, we let go of our agendas and just simply be with what is. At the end of our retreat, when we actually leave, we might reflect back on what it was like living in a simple way. You know, what a power it can bring to the mind to do that. How, you know, if we're not surrounded by so many things calling on our attention, that there is just an ease in being. So I'd like to suggest that rather than viewing renunciation as a forceful event based upon our shoulds and ideals, that we explore it as being what as being something that supports and nurtures awakening 
and is based can be based in wisdom rather than aversion. Lama Yeshe, who was a he was a, a great Tibetan teacher, he's he talked about renunciation as being a wish to emerge from the repeated frustrations and disappointments of ordinary life. And you know, many of us have seen on some level that when we just keep going for these momentary pleasures, it doesn't lead to a fulfilling life. And so, you know, n- rather, it's like needing to look at what's, <laughs> what's wrong with that picture. Now, what is it that keeps compelling us towards believing that will bring happiness? Moments of renunciation can be moments of the deepest kindness to ourselves. Now, where it's like seeing something arise and just abandoning, letting go of the compulsion to identify with, to take on, to get entangled with. The Buddha talked about renunciation as being the state of rest. I found that an interesting description. No, where it's the rest of the non-grasping mind. Renunciation really helps us, gives us some kind of container, or you know, some yeah, container for exploring the force of desire craving in our minds that you know it can feel so unwieldy that it's like how do you approach this beast of desire and so you know to both contemplate the drawbacks the the chasing after the effect of and at times we'll work more on the side of restraint you know where so rather than going for something and exploring right there the drawback it's like using restraint to take us to the rewards of renunciation. It's, it's quite an interesting exploration. There's three levels of renunciation that we can look at. The outer level, the world of sense desire, uh, material goods, uh, the renunciation with leads us into living a life of simplicity. There's the inner level of renunciation where we can work with abandoning painful emotions and not hanging on to pleasant experiences and you know just simply not being seduced by the fantasies in the mind. And then there's the ultimate or innermost level of renunciation. And this is the renunciation of a sense of a small, separate self. So speaking about each of these levels of renunciation, the outer level. 
We come from, these teachings come from the tradition of renunciates. Uh, You know, the Buddha himself entered into the homeless life. There has been, since the time of the Buddha, many monks and nuns whom have followed in his footsteps in that way and live a life of simplicity, renouncing, you know, shaving heads, wearing robes. Um, Often, you know, there's forest monks, people who who may not have a solid home base. Um, Living, you know, trying to live in a very simple way. And then, as lay people, you know, we're offered the precepts that support a life of simplicity and non-harming as a container to exploring the mind. And the Buddha really encouraged, you know, a level of renunciation in life. Uh, There's a story from the Jataka tales about before he was a Buddha, you know, said many, many lives of exploration and really bringing to fruition all of these requisites for enlightenment. And in... Uh, a life where he was working with renunciation. He was born into a royal family, and he was destined to become uh, an heir to the throne. But he had a deep desire to be an ascetic. And so it's said that for 16 years, he pretended to be a crippled mute. And then finally he was cast aside and and he um, then at that time renounced all the power of ruling the kingdom to follow the path of liberation. You know, letting go of all of the things that his life could have brought him on the material level and instead pursuing the life of liberation. And to some extent, this is our journey coming here, even temporarily, where we have put aside you know, the world of distraction, where uh, letting go of you know, TVs, movies, friends, whatever we may use for forms of entertainment. We also let go of levels of control, where you know, we can no longer control the, te- the temperatures, the food we eat, whether windows are open or closed. Uh, We don't have control over what yogi job we get. Um, And this can, you know, just in the relinquishing of that, takes us into another level of seeing experience. Because underneath that desire for control, which if we're always living with a sense of control, when we don't have that, it can bring up a real sense of vulnerability, fear, insecurity, you know, we we come face to face with this, you know, changeability of all circumstance and no sense of control over it. And it's something on the journey of awakening that we're going to need to face. And so, you know, just by coming here and letting go of of that desire to control helps us bring us closer to finding an ease ease and peace with the way things are. So, you know, if you find that you really want control and it's hard, just explore here. 
You know, this is this is where you know the container gives us something to bump up against, so we can see on a deeper level. Because you know, if we always get what we want, if we always have control, we don't see what's under that, and it's essential. In being here, in the outer world, sometimes we will practice with restraint. You know, some of us are on the eight precepts. This allows for, you know, a simpler schedule. After the midday meal, you know, it's just a combination of sitting, walking, not much else doing. And, you know, in my own experience, that just kind of helped diminish the chit-chatter of, Oh, I wonder what's for tea. Oh, is it time yet? You know, I mean, it's amazing that one little activity in the day, and what we can, you know, all of the uh, the chatter that can go on around it. So, you know, it and it also becomes a way of really exploring living with less. For some of us, it might not be the appropriate way. We may have health concerns, and um, you know. It, it's not, if you have low blood sugar, you know, it might not be the exploration for you to do. But to look and to see where we keep going for more, where we could have less. You know, it could be around the use of books and tapes, that that often becomes a form of entertaining oneself Things get a little bit difficult. Oh, oh, I'll just read for a while. Or there's a little bit of boredom. Well, entertain me. When I was a, a nun in Burma, um, I was in this nunnery, and I wasn't doing intensive practice. Uh, so, you know, I was doing some reading here and there. And then at one point, I was reading, and it was a Buddhist dictionary. And I'd pretty much read it from cover to cover, And then I checked my motivation. And it wasn't around deepening understanding. It was around being entertained. You know, simply giving the mind something to chomp on. And so in your day to look and see, whatever it might be, on retreat, and maybe this is personal to me, maybe you you do better with this, but I found that I could come up just with endless little tasks that needed to be done in a day, that needed to be done in my room, or the, the laundry, and just how much time that could occupy. You know, days in advance, there could be the planning of my laundry. I relinquish it, let it go. I mean, this really, you know, this could be something. Um, just the, the need for busyness. Let it be simple here. This is a time way we can explore this reward of renunciation. Now, what's it like when in a day, when we're sitting, we just sit? When we're walking, we just walk. If we have a cup of tea, just have a cup of tea. You know, when we leave here, it's so easy to multitask, 
you know, we have a cup of tea while we're working on what we, you know, some paper for something, or, you know, it's like, but here, let it be simple. Drink that in. That's a reward of renunciation. The living of the precepts is a way of working with renunciation in the outer world where we let go of harmful actions. And it seems amazing that we need support in doing that, but we do. You know, that we just so many times are blindsided that we don't see. But letting the, the precepts be a guidance to how we can look at our actions and relinquish that which leads to greater suffering. In the world, in our lives, in the outer world, we can practice with material goods, seeing if we can live with less. This is so important in this day that we live, in this time. It's something that, as a culture, as a world, we all need to practice. Because we're rapidly running out of so many things in life. And at the same time, you know, we're filling garbage dumps. We can't dispose of all that we consume. investigating, exploring. In the inner world, renunciation of attachment to mind states, whether they be the unpleasant ones, anger, fear, sadness, whether they be more joyful ones, calm, peace, tranquility. Renunciation with all of the stories of our lives. This is something you could even do just for a day as an experiment. So we all have different stories of our lives. When it arises in a moment, just practice not going with it. And, you know, we're so identified with these stories, it can be scary. So that's why we're going to give it a time frame. That just for, you know, you could do it for a sitting even, and it can be helpful. Period of time, when that story arises, we just recognize it as story and let it be it can have a huge impact. Right there, we will get some of the rewards of renunciation. And we find in our practice that maybe things are getting calm, peaceful. We have to keep renouncing subtler and subtler levels of peace. If we cling to anything, anything, 
it leads to suffering. And so, even the most subtle sense of peace cannot be clung to, but can be known. We could practice, you know, just from experiment, relinquishing stories. Or maybe there is um, maybe judgment is something that keeps coming up over and over. When it arises, just practice. Not taking it up. Not identifying. Oh, here's judgment. That's all. Don't need to do anything. In that moment, letting go, letting be. And then the third type of renunciation is the innermost or ultimate level of renunciation where we let go of there being this idea, belief, view, filter of there being a small, separate, unchanging self. The letting go of this ultimate level of renunciation happens through clear seeing, happens when there is a deep understanding of what's called the three characteristics, which are anicca, or impermanence, dukkha, or the unsatisfactoriness of transitory experience, and anatta, the impersonal or insubstantial nature of experience we see that there's a very complex relationship happening between all phenomena of mind and body. It's a great tapestry of life. And it's conditioned that there isn't a solid I, me, or mine to whom it all refers back to. This level of renunciation is very freeing. Ajahn Buddhadasa describes it as we are giving back to nature the things we have falsely appropriated from it. This mind, these feelings, this body, the breath itself, they do not really belong to us. When we see that, instead of feeling deprived of something we thought was ours, we feel a great freedom, the liberation that the Buddha promised. Giving it all back to nature. It's just a mistaken perception. we really begin to see how the ownership 
is what is painful. So exploring renunciation. At times it will be quite natural. The, you know, it will be just that sense of letting go, letting be, um, that, the, the not picking up in the mind. Um, you know, and it can really be based in a wisdom, an understanding of the drawbacks of sense pleasure. My husband's mother was uh, about to leave her family home of over 50 years and was in the process of you know, giving away, selling uh, all of the accumulation of life that she'd had from years of bringing up a family and living in the same place. You know, it was a huge thing. And you know, so he asked her at one point whether it was difficult. And she looked at him and said, now is not the time to hang on. Wisdom prevailed. She was able to relinquish. We too can have this wisdom. When we understand, you know, when we can see, draw back of sense pleasure. And, you know, when it's a, you know, a cellular level of knowing the rewards of renunciation through our and that's you know this comes through our practice the scene these moments where we let it be deeply felt and understood what happens when we don't hang on Proximate cause for the arising of renunciation is said to be that of spiritual urgency. I had a friend who uh, really, it was clear to see this in her life. Um, she had had cancer and, you know, it was quite severe. And uh, she was being undergoing treatment, but you know it was still very evident. And then she got in a very bad car accident, and nobody expected her to live. She was in a coma, and they thought that if she did live, that she would have spinal cord injury and probably be in a vegetative state. But she came out of the coma. She was able to walk. And the the cancer, when she came out, had gone completely into remission. They couldn't find a trace of it. It had been a very profound journey for her. Really quite profound. A a remarkable journey. And um, when I saw her, it was some time after she had had the accident and come out of the coma. And she was commenting on how it had really helped her to prioritize her life. She now knew that there was nothing more important than awakening.
She was a dear friend. Unfortunately, the cancer came back and she did end up dying. But I think that all that she journeyed through helped and benefited not just her, but those of us who were around her. So I'd like to close with a teaching from Tukul Urjan Rinpoche. He says, Renunciation is the sign of true accomplishment, blessing, and realization. Renunciation means to understand that time is running out and everything passes. In other words, it is a natural disenchantment with samsaric attainments and any samsaric state. From this level of renunciation, relinquishment, letting go, we can discover the happiness that is not conditioned, not subject to change. Let's sit for a moment. May all beings come to know the joy of renunciation. So closing with the reflections on the sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.